Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. This episode of VUX World is brought to you by Botmock. Shout out to Obed and the Botmock team for sponsoring this episode. If you're looking for a tool that will take your idea from a little spark in your brain to a working prototype of a conversation, a voice application, then check out Botmock. The interface is super simple. It's really easy to get started and it will take the pain out of conversation design and out of prototyping. It'll make your life a hell of a lot easier. Check out botmock.com slash VUX. UX world for a free trial. That is botmock, B-O-T-M-O-C-K dot com slash V-U-X world. Shout out to Botmock. Also, special thanks to the Conversational Academy, who also are presenting this episode, which is all about conversation design and actually more specifically and quite fittingly, how to become a conversation designer. And if you are wanting to become a conversation designer, then today's guest has got all kinds of tips and insights into how you can go about doing that. But another way you can do that is to actually get some training get trained up in the art of conversation design and that is what the conversational academy do they provide world-class conversation design training it's put together by robocopy who we've had on the podcast in the past so check out that episode if you haven't already all kinds of tips and tricks about how to design conversations and this course essentially is the embodiment of all of their knowledge and skills and experience i am not lying when i tell you it is the best course that i've ever tried out it's online as well so you can do it at your own pace you can do it early in the morning like I do, or you can even do it kind of on your way to work or whenever you can find the time. You work at your own pace. All of the videos are online. You go through one video, you have a bit of a quiz to kind of test your knowledge. And honestly, it will take you from, even if you're a conversation designer right now, doing this course will bring your knowledge up to speed. And if you're not a conversation designer right now, but you want to be, this will take you through from beginning to end. By the time you've done it, you will be effectively a world-leading conversation designer. So check out conversationalacademy.com. And if you want to save 10% on the course price, then visit the link in the show notes. Now, without further ado, I won't do a big intro for this one because I've already done enough rabbiting on as it is. This episode is all about how you can go from copywriter or essentially any role that is not conversational design into being a conversation designer. We're talking to creative lead at Rehab, Claire Medcalf, all about how she made the transition and all about how you can do it too. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Claire Medcalf of Rehab on VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. Branding with the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about boys. Now further ado. Welcome to the show. Yeah, here we go, Dustin. This 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 is another one in quick succession. What's this? Is this like one, two now in three days? Something mad like that? Yeah, it's back to school is what it is, Ken. Exactly, exactly. We've had we've had we had the hiatus for a couple of weeks, and now we're back on it. So we'd like to welcome Claire Medcalf to VUX World. Claire, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks it's for good. Having me. Yeah, very welcome. Really, really glad to have you on. I come across rehab. Quite a while back, and I've never actually been introduced to anybody there, but I'm obviously aware of the work that you have been doing and, and stuff like that. So I'm really glad that we connected and super excited to have you on a podcast. You've been doing some really interesting stuff. Cool. Thank you. Wicked. So maybe we'll kick off with a bit of an intro. Do you want to kind of tell us, I mean, the, the premise of this conversation, and for those listening, I might have mentioned it in the intro, but we're going to have a bit of a conversation around how to get into conversation design. I'm sure that throughout this we'll kind of get into your path, Claire, and, and, and your kind of route that you've taken and stuff like that. But for, for those listening, give us a little bit of context behind yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and, and maybe also a little bit about rehab. Sure, yeah. Um, so I've been a copywriter, creative copywriter for about, I don't know, 10, 15 years now. Um, and but I didn't really know that voice and conversation design existed until maybe... A couple of years ago when I joined rehab as a freelancer um, and it's been yeah it's been a really interesting learning curve over the last couple of years for sure um, but yeah before prior to rehab I was uh, spent a lot of my time at agencies or a mix of agencies and in-house uh, writing copy from everything from like public health campaigns um, to some big 
big brands trying to sell stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm really enjoying this switch over to conversation design. So like I said, I started at Rehab a couple of years ago and started as a freelancer. Um, one of the first jobs I was working on was a, a messenger bot on Facebook. Um, and that was like the first bit of conversation design that I had experienced and kind of fell in love with it pretty much straight away. Um, we don't just do conversation design at Rehab. We're, we're a creative tech agency. And I guess what that means is we're trying to help clients keep ahead of the curve with all, all things tech um, and from a creative point of view and that kind of different twist on, on advertising, really. And you've also just come away from a successful spell at Cannes. <laughs> I have, yeah. Um, oh, that was, it was a pretty amazing experience. So, um there was me and four others from rehab, uh, which we ended a team to be part of the uh, Can Lion Change for Good hackathon. So um, we had to submit an idea for how to uh, use tech to help um, Earth Day Network collect kind of data points from as many um, people across the globe to help with um, environmental issues. So whether that's water purity or um, air pollution. And yeah, so we, we'd seen this um, study online, which basically said you could get a reading from a photograph. Um, you could get a reading of how air, uh, polluted that area is just by analysing the photograph. So um we went along to Cannes and the hackathon, we got selected to be one of six teams um, to be part of the hackathon at Cannes. Um, so we went along and it was sponsored by Amazon and Huge, which are a creative agency. And um, we had to build as much of a working prototype in a week as possible. And part of that had to be an Alexa skill. So, uh, yeah, it was really intense, but it was one of the best weeks of my life. Like, it was amazing. And we came home with the, the gold. We came first, so it's amazing. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. And that, that, that in and amongst what I've heard of the nightlife in Cannes must have been quite an accomplishment to get through the week of actual work as well. I mean, I wish we'd seen some of the nightlife, but I, we were just, like, working away. No joke, we were working away, like, the whole time. I think we had a maximum of five hours sleep a night, and that was not out drinking I mean don't get me wrong there was you know we enjoyed a little bit of it <laughs> <laughs> and that's then gone on so what's happening with that now that's turned into yeah. an actual project then has it yeah it has yeah so we're working with the Earth Day Network to help um, launch a uh, kind of a, a prototype of it um, in the coming months and then that will go on um, working towards Earth Day in April next year cool. so yeah Nice. Well, that's really good. Yeah, we look forward to seeing that. So how much of what you do um, at Rehab is conversation design? Because I've seen on the website, it looks as though a lot of the case studies in there are around conversation design. What's what's the kind of split? How much of your role, if you like, is spent doing conversation design versus versus other stuff? So um, I think as an agency, it, it does make up quite a fair bit, but it's important to say that it's not the, the only thing that we do. I'd say... It's really hard to give it a percentage, but maybe like it's 60% of the work that we do. But for my role um, as creative lead at Rehab um, and because of the type of, of work I've been doing since I started here two years ago, I, yeah, most of mine is conversation design. Claire, one thing that's interesting to me is you told us before the show when most people think about copywriters, they think perhaps of writers who, who can make a living there, who studied English in school and all that. And you said that that really was not your forte in school. No. How, how do you feel like you got into copywriting despite not really being on that path before? Sure. Um, I forgot I told you that. Um, I probably <laughs> didn't tell people that I'm not good at English or wasn't good at English. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't think I was very good at English at, at school and that kind of stuck with me way too long. Um, but it, I did graphic, graphic design at university, um, graduated in 2004. 
Um, but I was really lucky that that graphic design course was really broad. So we, we covered everything from illustration to advertising to um, proper proper design work. Um, but because it was so broad, it meant that I didn't have to specialise and I kind of naturally found myself going into the kind of the advertising creative route. Um, but then I graduated and had some interesting jobs straight out of university, one of which was like uh, working in a basically a photocopy shop which I'm not sure how much business those kind of things get anymore <laughs> but, hey, um, um, but then it was I was really lucky after that to um, have some great uh, work experience at a youth charity um, called uh, Kickart and we used to do these kind of uh, last stunts that uh, we'd come up with ideas young people would come up with ideas to educate their peers on um, kind of issues that, that affect them so when that's sexual health or managing their money things like that um, and it was I was there and I had an amazing uh, mentor as my boss there and she kind of said to me oh you should be a copywriter and before that point I knew I was interested in working in the advertising world but I thought I would be more like a an art director um, um, but then kind of I don't know, I think the advertising industry can be pretty daunting and overwhelming and, you know, I'm quite an anxious person so I didn't have, like, that kind of bolshiness to kind of go straight into that so I was, like, skirting around the edges of it for a long time. Um, so that was that was the first kind of thing that made me think, oh, yeah, I do, I do think in words and come up with my ideas around words so maybe there is something in that. And then after working at that charity, um, I worked for a social innovation startup called School of Everything. And um, I started there doing like kind of bits and bobs, like a bit of data entry kind of as I started. And then um, Paul, who was the CEO of School of Everything, he was like, we really want you to join us full time. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, I think I want to be a copywriter. And he was like, great, you can be our copywriter. So it, I went straight in and learned on the job, like working for an amazing company. So yeah, that was that was the shift, I guess. And what have you found to be the difference after coming from getting into copywriting, spending time being a copywriter? And then you mentioned that kind of the, the, the whole kind of voice conversation thing was interesting you, and, and then you've obviously moved into doing conversation design uh, in, in kind of a large proportion of your role. So what did you find some of the kind of main differences were from from a copywriting brief to a conversation design brief? Yeah, um, so there are some differences, I guess, like, there's a lot of similarities as well. I think um, the main thing being that when you're writing copy for a press ad or uh, anything else, really, you're, you're never getting a response. It's you, you know, you're taught to make your writing sound like a conversation. It's supposed to really speak to the viewer, like you understand their needs and you, you kind of play to those, and you want them to feel like they're talking with you as a brand. The amazing difference with conversation design is that you actually are getting a response so for the first time copywriting is a conversation and you're getting to craft that along with understanding the user so yeah I think that's the bit that I really 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 love about it and presumably that then kind of brings you into um rather than uh, if a copywriter is spending time researching and putting words to a page and you want it to sound conversation when it's read but presumably in conversation design if you are getting a response there needs to be somebody else there or some other people there to generate that response so is it I don't want to put words in your mouth but is it a difference in terms of the people who you work with or is it more collaborative in that respect yeah I guess um you always have collaboration to a certain extent, but traditionally my career has always been collaborating with an art director and figuring out the best way to get visuals and words to kind of do the job that we need them to do for the user. I think the one thing that is consistent is 
putting the user first is really, really important. And that's something that we, we try to do as much as possible at rehab. Um, you know, there's, there's no point really creating anything if you're, unless you're thinking about the person that it is designed for and designed to help. Um, and in terms of creating the work, like, um, I learned pretty early on that I can write a conversation on paper and that that's great because you just read it as one block of text and like it flows beautifully as soon as you take the the user dialogue out of that and try so we I do paper prototyping quite a lot where I'll read the smart speaker copy to to any willing human and see how they respond and that it changes dramatically at that point because you're actually getting real answers not you're not writing the journey as you want it to happen you're getting a real taste of what they are what they are going to do and and then you shape the conversation around that when you're when you're going to find those people to stand in as the end users do you have to find a specific kind of person or are you seeing that your colleagues know too much about what you're doing to really be effective um, I think it's better if they if they don't know as much. So so picking someone at random, like just put a shout out on the company Slack, asking if anyone's got like ten minutes to help us out, and then um, obviously giving them a bit of a brief as to what the the project is. But really, it's it's good when they don't know too much because you people using kind of voice skills or actions don't know what they do until they're using them. So that's the only path you have to educate them about the use and the, and the benefit it has to them. Hmm. So anyone. Is, <laughs> is, is there any, it sounds, it sounds like what the BBC are doing as well, putting call outs to get people with different accents to come and uh, experiment. <laughs> yeah. <for> yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, have you found, so you mentioned that some things um, are similar, some things are different. Have you found that in terms of the, either the tools or the techniques that you use, to design a conversation versus craft some copy. Have you found any differences or similarities in, in the tools and techniques that you use? Um, yeah, the, I think, so things like, um, like I said, focusing on the user is really important. Trying to strike up that connection, like that still needs to happen through voice. Um, I think things, uh, so no jargon or management speak um things that can creep in on like company websites and things like you 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 definitely need to strip that out both on websites or in ads but also in voice because i think brevity is always important and it's even more important when you're writing for voice or conversation design because you people just expect that point to be made clearly simply in a, in a really short amount of, of space um differences i think uh it made me realize one of the things it made me realize is how how much that i would use questions in kind of writing a paragraph that is just going to be read um as as a kind of copywriting tool but when you can't do that obviously in conversation design because you're posing the question so that that rhetorical questions going to get a response um and what else what would an example of that be what would an example um, if you use questions a lot in copywriting what would some examples of those kind of questions be that that um, might catch people out on on assistant so have you ever thought about how your life might be easier if you had yeah 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 you can't because you're going to get an answer so. (laughs) so that must then that must change yeah so it must change the way you you approach it is that the kind of thing that you're thinking every single time you're writing a a line are you always thinking about what the response could and should be or are you thinking about perfecting the way that this phrase sounds i definitely think it um it's falling more into the first i thought it definitely kind of bleeds into that ux role of like understanding what you want the person to do next and what their response is and and uh, again, like UX isn't my background, but it 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 really helps. Like we try and work, I try and work in partnership with UX at work. But 
you, you yeah you just find yourself like switching to that way of thinking and then the craft kind of comes later I think um yeah it is about that user experience first so do you have kind of user experience people at rehab that you work alongside yes yeah yes, so what's do, the yeah. difference then in in a conversation design project if a lot of what you're doing is crafting the interface where's the line and what's the difference then between a conversation designer and a, and a ux person i mean it's very blurry line um and it, but you always get the best results if ux and copy are, are working and tech are working together actually we're really in favor of kind of working in a kind of hack sprint style at rehab as well so i think if you can get everyone with the resort with the skills in one room at the same time the result is going to be better and if it like passes on from one person to another and um, um, yeah when working on a voice project with ux we'll kind of sit down and think about all the areas that that conversation or experience needs to to cover and how they map out loosely and then um either i'll go off and write it as a conversation and then come back to speak to ux and go okay so this is where it's going does that make sense we want to move it around um and sometimes it's easier if it's um messenger based because you can almost like plot it out with all the responses i think it's really true when it's voice first like it's or voice only <laughs> you it's much trickier because you are the ux line and copy line is hard to draw because you know there's no point really mapping out like a decision tree in that you have to write it as a script to know what's going to work and just make sure all the parts of that conversation plug in at the right point Does that makes sense and claire you were talking earlier about your your quirks or your voice however you want to call it uh, for example using questions a, a lot with uh, straight copy mm-hmm. when you're writing for conversation how do you get yourself away from yourself and and write instead in the voice of the assistant or the brand? So I think that's a really good question. It's something that I'm kind of learning every day. Like I, I try and keep up to date with Alexa and Google Assistant's like guidelines on the best practice to write. And Kane, I know you inter- introduced me to Robocopy and the conversational like design course and stuff. I've got a few good from from um i think it is practice and it's learning like what works and what doesn't and writing for the platform so uh but that's a skill kind of as a copywriter you have anyway you kind of change the way you write to suit the, the medium have you, have you done much work around like persona design and writing for different personas or have you always been approaching it from this is Google Assistant and this is Alexa? Has it always been spoken in their voice or have you done some sort of persona work as well? No, no, definitely. So the um, the guidelines, Alexa and um, Google Assistant have very, very much been a kind of best practice in terms of getting that user through the, through the conversation you want them to go through. But in terms of tone, um, yeah, we've I've definitely done persona work before. Obviously, we, we work with the brands that we work with to understand them as a client and, and their their product that they want to create and flexing their their kind of general tone of voice guidelines for the for the this platform. And is your as part of, of the role of, of a conversation designer, is it to wrap the words around what that brand narrative is or is it to shape the persona of the the thing that you're creating is it one of persona design as well or do you take the persona that's been created from somebody else and then you put it into words i think it's um it really is dependent on the project i think obviously a lot of brands are now moving to exploring voice as a as a channel and and trying to understand like who they are, what they are on this on this new platform. Um, I think there'll be there'll be instances where brands will create an experience, maybe around a character, kind of more kind of storytelling that would be a, a one kind of voice in and of itself. But I think I think we're seeing conversation design as more of a, a channel for 
or an, yeah another platform for for brands to kind of reinforce who they are obviously they're their visual guidelines are consistent across whatever channel that they're displaying. So, so if you, you know a Cadbury's press ad, you know a Cadbury's chocolate bar in store. Um, it's that kind of flexing it. And I think we, we're almost going back to that golden day of, of radio and brands need to really kind of cement who they are through audio only or audio first. Mm. Yeah, we've covered, we've, we've spoke to quite a few people around, you know, Joel Beckerman and Eric C and stuff on, on audio branding and sonic identity and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, yeah, that's never gone away. I'm a huge, huge fan of, of sound design. I think that you can accomplish a, a hell of a lot when it comes to, to, you know, shaping sound in an effective way. As a conversation designer, is that something that you're thinking about as well in terms of for this bit, we could write some dialogue, but we could also use this kind of earcon or, or sound identifier. Are you thinking in those kind of terms in terms of um, you know what you can use sound for and what you can use dialogue for, or are you sticking to dialogue design? Um, I'm starting to think more, and it's very similar to when writing radio ads like um which i haven't done for a long time actually but thinking about where sound can come in whether that's um a brand's own particular sound or just use of sound effects in general like how can we paint more of a picture in through their speaker um i'm not i think i'd love to do more of it i think it's really fascinating i've been listening to your podcast to the around like audio branding and stuff and i think it's it's really fascinating so yeah, let's see. Yeah. Yeah, cool. <laughs> when it comes to crafting the words on the page, crafting the conversation, is it how how many revisions would you tend to go through? Because I know that I mean I've done kind of writing in the past, not to the level of copywriting for adverts and stuff, but a lot of freelance writing articles and blogs and stuff like that. And I always used to kind of get to the point where it was the same when I used to make music, I would dwell on something for ages and it would, every single word has to be exactly right. And the same with crafting music, every single sound has to be in place and has to all kind of be perfect. And then I kind of started getting to the point, maybe when I, when I was maybe falling out of love with the concept of writing articles day in, day out, when I stopped maybe giving it quite as much attention and I found that I was able to do things quicker, but they maybe weren't quite as good. So in terms of the number of revisions I would go through got shorter, but with conversation design, it almost feels as though that's kind of exploded again. Is that is that the case? Would you say that how many iterations would you tend to go through when you craft a dialogue, or is it is it a case of just writing something and it's done? Oh no, it's never just writing and it's done. You know that as a writer. <laughs> but um, I think it, it could be endless. Like you could keep iterating that conversation. I mean, I look back to some of the first projects that I that I did, and I, I mean. You know the tech. The tech has changed a lot in the, over the last couple of years, and um, I think from that point of view, I definitely go back and rework some of the conversations that I've written in the past. But in terms of of crafting the conversations when the project's happening, I think yeah, there's definitely writing a first pass, um, like the happy path as a as a script almost and then the first round of paper prototyping so the interviews I mentioned when um, just getting someone to think I'm a speaker for a minute and and do what I say or hopefully do what I say and then um, trying to build it out and craft the conversation at the same time so there's crafting for the UX point of view but also from a from a, a love of words and crafting the conversation and that making that conversation as as beautiful as it can be yeah so as many as I can fit in (laughs) (laughs) do you ever have situations where you wrote a turn of phrase or something and you were just in love with it and the client came in and and you had to end up changing it or the interaction with the users necessitated a change um I think (laughs) I mean there's there's always going to be some bits that get changed that you love, but I think you learn not to be too precious <laughs> over time. Um, I think I'm trying, I can't think of any specific examples, but I've definitely had it where I've written something on the page that I think will work perfectly in the conversation and then listening to it back when we've built it and te- we're testing it. It just does not make sense in the way that I thought it would. So 
it's more kind of feedback from the tech than from the client sometimes. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think that when you write something down and you look at it, it seems all right, but then you hear it back and it's, it, you change. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think it sounds different? Yeah, I think um, it really is just because it's relatively new. Like we're writing, we don't normally write for something to speak to us unless you're writing, you know, well, no, the, the, I was going to say, even if you're writing for kind of like a screenplay or something, it's still, you know, what's coming next, you know, what's going to happen. If you're only going by that last few string of words, then they need to make sense, uh, linking back to what you just said, but also lead you on to the next part of the conversation. And that's, I think we do, we're so smart as humans, like when we have a conversation with one another, there's so many cues to pick up on you. There's different contexts that you just understand automatically and smart speakers aren't that smart. <laughs> so you have to kind of really hold, hold their hand and the user's hand. Yeah. You mentioned the tech a couple of times. How does that influence what you're writing? I guess, I don't know if it's the tech or the user that is influencing me. I think, like I said, the user is always going to be at the heart of what we're doing. And if if the tech doesn't quite understand what the user is has said or is doing, then I need to write to accommodate both. Um but obviously the tech does influence me and, and I think the changes with like having more screen support in these conversations. So with the devices having screens as well, that's changing what the conversation is from a written or spoken point of view. What does that look like? How does the screen impact the, the conversation? Uh, so in, in the kind of simplest example, rather than uh, listing out all the kind of menu options, it would you, you would have pr like the buttons on screen or um, you would have visual cues that help make sense of what they're hearing. Obviously, you don't know necessarily. So you have to make a conversation that will ad adapt to whether it's just um, it's just speaker or if there's screen support or if they're, I think one thing that we've learned over time um, and we've kind of looked into quite a lot is um, what we call place owners. So that's not only the device that people are using, but where they're using it and in what context, because the conversation that they're willing to have would be different like in the privacy of their own home in front of their family versus um on their own or even in public, but on their own. So if they're on a bus, but they've got headphones in and the, um, they're typing on their phone. So both parts of that conversation are private, but they're in a public place. So does that change the conversation that they're, that they're willing to have? So that's another kind of a key thing to think about. Yeah. And that influences design decisions, does it? Yeah, I think um, it does. I think we we have to think about the kind of use case for for users, but you never know if if where that conversation is going to happen. So you have to make sure that because you, I, I guess, you would never choose the it just to design for one of those examples, but you might have an audience group that would most likely use it in a certain way. Um, but I think you have to create a conversation that can adapt across all of those variables. How does the user's comfort level or sophistication with the technology impact how you speak with them? Well, that's a good question. I think it, I still kind of take it from a very handholdy point of view but I don't think that's necessarily to do with a user's kind of experience with the tech I think it's more it feels more polite from the brand or, or for the conversation that you're designing that you're not going to trick anyone so I think it's not really about um, how comfortable they are it's more 
yeah, leading them through no matter what. And then taking a, a big step back and going actually to the beginning, when you do discovery with these brands that you're working with so that you know how to write and what to write, what are you asking them? What are you hoping to find out? Uh, the conversations with the brands. When they, when a brand comes to you and they have engaged with you and now you need to start writing for this conversational experience, what type of information do you need to know about the brand, about their goals, about the users that will allow you to be successful? Um, as all and as much of that as possible. I think uh, we're lucky that we, we have an amazing strat team and, and we all kind of work closely to understand both the brand um, goal, the client goals, the brand goals and the, the user goals. Um, we try and always, obviously we need to, we need to meet all of those, but we try and keep the, the user goals central and how can we help the user in a way that is good for business as well. Um, so ideally, we would have as much kind of user research as possible based around that particular brief. Um, we know what we're working towards, but if when we're doing user research, we kind of get other ideas of what might be the solution, then that would definitely kind of change our our course a little bit um but as much information as possible like trying to understand um like when building the the persona will kind of work with clients to understand the tone that they want to to put out there like does it is it a mirroring of their brand tone of voice or does it flex a little bit for this channel um but yeah the more information about all of those the better are there specific attributes, say, about the user where you say, if I know these four, five, six things, this is going to give me a large way to understanding what I need to do? Uh, I, I can't think of any specifics. We, um, only the place owner stuff that I mentioned. So... Um, what are we what problem are we solving how can we do that through voice um and where can we present that information just as a starting point um but we try and have a really detailed kind of picture of our of our audience not just millennials <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you do do you do a lot of um kind of like target market persona because there's two schools of thought isn't there and I don't even know which side of the fence I sit on but some people want really really detailed target market personas others kind of just they're happy with what you described as a place owner you know where they're going to use it what they need to, what they need to accomplish where do you kind of sit in that do you as approaching conversation design do you want a really detailed description of the target market who you're, who you're designing for or are you just happy to say this is a family and they're in the kitchen uh, I'd definitely be happy with the first one. I think I want to know that we really know the audience and we're not just kind of guessing about what's going to resonate with them. I think um, what we try and do is get a good mix of kind of face-to-face uh, -face, like research as well as data so we can get a, a clear picture um, and obviously the wider that research is the better but then that does need to be distilled down into a kind of directive brief for when it comes into copy so I've answered a lot of questions that maybe my a strat department <laughs> should have answered but yeah I think I don't think there's any harm in having lots of user research cool we've we've kind of touched on a few well it sounds as though we've kind of strayed into a few different areas in terms of product and strategy and ux and all that kind of stuff and that's probably a symbol maybe of of this whole space isn't it in that it's so multidisciplinary and there's so much that goes into it so much time and effort and different activities go into uh creating a voice experience do you think that and i know this is one of the things that we spoke about kind of before the call do you think that the role of a conversation designer is clearly defined enough or do you think that there is um clarity in terms of the perception of what conversation designers do and the roles that need to be involved in creating voice experiences i 
I think it's a really great area. Like, I don't really know what my job title should be anymore. Like, I think I've always had copywriter in my job title for years and years and years, and, and most people kind of know what that is now. But even with that in itself, there's loads of different types of copywriting. There's content writing, there's, you know, above the line, below the line, like, copy can cover so many different things and and now it's moving into conversation design copy isn't isn't in that as a as a title so design is in there and, and now obviously we're getting screens and um as part of this experience does design mean does like visual design again and obviously ux design so i think it's been a real obviously it's been a real tech led space i think now um as you know from having all the conversations with the kind of um sonic identity and audio branding and stuff where it's getting into a space where it's being more creative and crafted and, and polished i think there's room for copy to rise up a little bit in that i think it's hard to it's, it feels like it's it's more UX focused. Obviously, there's words in this conversation, but it's, yeah, I'd love to see copy heroed a little bit more um, as part of this space. The job that you have now, how do you see it being different a couple of years from now? Ooh, uh, who knows how it's going to change? I think it, it changes so, so quickly. I think the tech does uh, dictate that the most um but i think the creative um possibilities are really going to grow so i think it's going to be definitely seen as more of a channel or a platform for all the kind of traditional roles within advertising and creative to kind of work together to create richer experiences so it's exciting what kind of technical changes could you see impacting the job the most? Um, I think it would probably be like the natural language understanding. So if that just keeps getting better and better and better, then maybe there will be no job for copywriters in this space going forward. So, yeah, that's my biggest threat. <laughs> it's interesting how... Um how it kind of we, we we talk often about kind of technologies converging and that when you put a lot of different technologies together you all of a sudden have uber for example um and it kind of feels a little bit as though that's kind of the same when it comes to skills and talent i mean we've spoke about where the line is between ux and conversation design where the line is between strategy and conversation design and even actually we haven't actually mentioned this but i think maybe just in you maybe have, have some thoughts on this in terms of where the line is between the tech or the development side and the ux as well because quite often that i mean from the stuff that we've kind of worked on there's there's, there's a direct correlation between the person who ultimately is building it and the person and designing it and together you end up coming up with solutions that maybe traditionally developers may have just been kind of given something and like you know can you figure out how to build this whereas it seems would you agree Dustin it seems more as though the development is also coming into UX as well yeah I would say perhaps a little bit Uh, in my experience it's always been a little bit like that Uh, maybe it goes back and forth as the tech gets stronger as as the UX becomes more of a a field that's respected and trusted in the startup spaces for a long time, you know, devs were king. And, and now there's an understanding that copywriters and UX and everyone really has a say as well. But I think Claire, you're, you're exactly right. Certainly the, the NLU will have a big impact. I'm interested to see how that impacts what you're doing uh, and how much time, for example, you need to spend on the the error paths and misunderstanding paths but also does natural language generation come into play with this at all uh, as well uh, i'm actually a, perhaps more optimistic than you are that you'll have a job for the foreseeable future because <laughs> i don't see a, a computer making you chuckle or like making you think or or anything like that but could that be an aid to you as well perhaps yeah i think um 
I feel like it will go like two ways. There might be some conversations that will naturally shape themselves as tech improves. But I think if that's going to happen in that direction, in the other direction, the platform's going to open up for artists and there'll always be like this kind of creative um, kind of craft side that will all, will always be explored. So I think that'll be an interesting split <laughs> with how it develops. Do you think there is the beginnings of, um, we've, we've kind of mentioned and it's kind of been a recurring theme on the podcast in terms of, you know, design patterns and things like that and how mobile has the hamburger menu and, you know, forms have got a real kind of, under, the, the UI of a form online is understood and all that kind of stuff. Uh, do you see there being patterns and standards when it comes to conversation design or are conversations just so unique? Is every conversation so unique that that's not possible? I mean, I, I guess we're kind of working towards it being as natural and as human as possible. Um, and I guess that will be our that will be our guide. But then I'm reading a book at the moment about how language has kind of developed on the Internet. And it's not how we would we would write in a kind of professional um official way but it's definitely understood so one thing that actually comes into uh, my thinking a lot of the time is full stops so full stops on the end of a whatsapp message you might think the person is annoyed at you or is being quite blunt about something but actually if I'm writing for a brand but I'm writing it in a messaging platform do I use that full stop or not I know it's correct to have a full stop but I also know it can be perceived as not very nice so yeah that, I think that's that's interesting from that point of view but I think there will be standards I just don't know if they'll be governed by how people are writing naturally or how the proper way is to do it and that's where I think the split will be are there any mistakes or anything that you see in conversational interfaces with copywriting that you look at and you cringe and you go, Ugh, like, I don't know why people are doing that? Um, I mean, I'm probably cringing from a point of view as, oh, I used to do that too. <laughs> but I think it's just uh, the response is being too long, that especially when you're seeing them on screen and I mean, it's even worse when it's being read out to you. It's just too much. Cognitive load is too much. And the conversation is just going to stop because people are lost. So, yeah, I think edit, edit, edit is a, a tip for sure. Why do you think people do that? Um, because we're used to writing for bigger spaces. <laughs> um, and, I mean, obviously, a lot of us write conversations so I'm thinking about using screen when I'm giving these examples. So in WhatsApp, I know that the way that people have or type these conversations is is changing and, and can be quite individual. Or maybe it's an age thing. I'm not sure. But like some people, you know, click send as quickly as they click return. So every sentence is a new message. But then other people will write, you know, beautifully kind of write with proper punctuation the whole long message so I don't know and I d maybe that will vary for individual users it will match their style that would be interesting one of, one of the kind of real skills I, I've noticed from working in the past with copywriters versus people who can just throw words on a page is that kind of being concise and still saying the thing that you intend to say but with less words seems to be a a really valuable skill in a copywriter is that is that still the case in conversation design we've been talking about being brief and keeping responses short is is the kind of how brief you need to be or how concise you need to be is that equal to a typical copywriting project or is it even more extreme i think it's it's more extreme but there's also things that you need to say that you don't have to say if it was on a website with an accompanying visual. So if it's just through voice, then the hand-holding, like the instructional, kind of making sure you're moving people along with you, I think there's some bits that you have to say that you wouldn't have to if there was visuals with it. Um, but, yeah, 
saying what you need to say in a short amount of words as possible is still the number one <laughs> skill for this, I think. Cool. And then maybe lastly, we'll we'll let's finish off with any advice that you might have for other people who might not be a conversation designer right now, but might be wanting to do this for a living. What kind of advice would you give people who want to turn themselves from wherever they are? It could be copywriters, could be hobbyists, Alexa skill builders, could be UX designers that, that want to be conversation designers. What kind of advice would you give those people? I think my advice would be just to start giving it a go. Like there are so many platforms out there where you can start building or at least prototyping the conversation. So Bot Society is an amazing one. You can really just start shaping your conversation straight away. So I just say, give it a go. And especially if you're a writer, you've already got, you know, 50% of the skills that you need. It's just understanding how to have that kind of two-way conversation. Cool. Dustin, any final thoughts or any other questions for Claire? No, this is fantastic. Thanks so much, Claire. No worries. Thank you. Where can people reach out to you or find out more about you and more about rehab? Um, so if you go to rehabagency.ai or uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Claire Metcalf, C-L-A-I-R-E-M-E-D-C-A-L-F. <laughs> cool. We'll put the handle in the show notes along with the appropriate links. Claire, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been really interesting. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That was Claire Medcalf, Creative Lead at Rehab. Thank you, Claire, for joining us. That was exactly what I hoped that conversation would be. We've covered conversation design and things like that in the past, and we've also done some things around moving from kind of like graphic design into copywriting or conversation design. But I think having some a fresh perspective on that transition from another role into conversation design brings all of that conversation up to date for 2019 because genuinely I do get asked all the time you know things around where do I learn to be a conversation designer how can be a, how can I be a conversation designer and the general growth of this industry and the role of conversation designer is going to explode over the next years we are going to need more and more conversation designers and you know I know that we were sort of speaking towards the end there about when maybe the NLU gets really really sophisticated and that kind of like debunks the need for a conversation designer but to be honest I think we're always going to need conversation designers and the more and more experiences that get created the bigger that voice gets the more and more designers we're going to need creating and designing these conversations so I'm, I'm really really pleased that Claire was able to share so many insights not just in terms of how she'd moved from copywriting into conversation design but also some of the details around how she goes about designing conversations I think was really really useful so really 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 appreciate you joining us Claire and that really does bring the conversation up to date and yeah fantastic ladies and gentlemen it's been an absolute pleasure until next time see you later